All right, so what a week, huh, right? I mean, just last Sunday, everybody was in here all snoozing and tired because we lost an hour of sleep. Now look at us. What an interesting week we've had. You look around the world, and it's panic, and it's fear, and it's hysteria. The, the COVID-19 has gripped the nation and gripped the world. Everything's been shut down. You know that today, for all of us college basketball fans, is it's the greatest day of the year, Selection Sunday. There will be no selections made today. Breaks my heart. But it just goes to show you the extremes that are being taken because of what we're facing and also the hysteria. Um, as believers... How do we respond to this? How do we really approach this? Um, do we just chalk it up to sensationalism and the media has overhyped and the media are, you know, pushing this hyped up, jacked up theory of sickness and disease and illness and, and coronavirus and death and, and they're just stirring up the emotions and, well, that's one way to look at it. Or do we just, so do we dismiss it? Well, you know, I'm, I'm invincible. My faith can't be touched and I'm, I'm good to go, you know, cough in my face. I don't even care, whatever. You know, there's some people that are like that. And so you've got extremes all over the place. Uh, it's easy to see the panic right now. You know, walk through the, do the dollar store or walk through Walmart and you can see the empty shelves where people are worried about what's taking place and they're concerned about running out of supplies and everything else. And so you can understand that it's, you know, it's, it's a real serious issue that we're facing. So as a believer, what do we do? What's the approach that we take? Are we defiant? Well, for me as a believer not just as a pastor, but as a believer, I stay balanced. That's the way I was raised. I, I try to stay unmoved as much as possible. I stay balanced in my faith. I keep my faith and my trust and my hope in God. If I have a moment, if I have a moment where I freak out, I freak out to Jesus. I'm a human being, so are you. If I'm going to freak out, I'm going to freak out to Jesus. I'm going to put on some praise music and get that, get that sucker reeled in real quickly. But we are allowed to have our moments, but we, we stay in faith. And so today I'm going to preach a, a, a very balanced message. This actually, actually comes straight from Jesus. And it's so interesting. This is such an interesting teaching. So Jesus was a master at teaching. It's who he was. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. And so he gathered his 12 disciples together, pulled these guys together, and he began to teach them different things, different things. Uh, different principles that they were going to need, that they were going to, be, they were going to require in order to live for him in an effective way and reach people for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus taught about fear. He taught about how to handle isolation. He taught about all of these things. Now for us, we have to be careful that when we read these stories and we see these teachings or we hear these teachings, we don't come into it with approach of, of like we do with another story. Like, you know, Frozen 2. You know, once upon a time and then the end. We don't look at it as some kind of fairy tale, but we actually see it for the truth that it really is. Because you have to remember everything Jesus did, the Father told him to do. Jesus said that himself. I don't do anything unless my father tells me to do it. So everything he did had a purpose, had a big picture attached to it so that we would all understand how this fits as a believer. And so Jesus taught so much on fear, has a lot to say about fear. Now, for a lot of people, when they see what Jesus taught about fear, it's, it, it, it all makes sense and it, it's all good stuff, but it's a bit naive. It's a bit naive, like, like, Jesus, how are we supposed to do this in the world that we live in? And the interesting thing about that is in the, that early century uh, group of believers, his disciples, they felt the same way. They had to deal with these same issues with Jesus and the teaching on what it really meant. And so Jesus comes out and he says, here's my bottom line. 
when it comes to being afraid and it comes to fear, here's the bottom line, and I want everybody to know this, and I want my disciples to know this, and I want 2020 followers to know this, and here it is. It's in your notes. Put it on the screen. It is fear not. This is it. Jesus says, stop it. Cut out the fear. Don't be afraid. And some of us are like, thanks, Jesus. Hadn't thought of that one. Never once considered to not be afraid of anything. But Jesus says, listen, here's the deal. In 2020 terminology, you need to understand, do not let fear, do not being, being afraid, do not let it control, do not let it overwhelm, do not let it determine how you live your life. Don't you dare do it. This is Jesus teaching this. And so he, start, he started to share this with his 12 disciples. And these guys are listening to him and they're, and they're like, okay. So here's what happens. So Jesus calls his 12 disciples. He says, I need you guys to drop what you're doing and come follow me. And his disciples, they do it. They one by one drop their nets, give up everything in their life and follow Jesus. Amazing. How awesome is it to be chosen by Jesus, the Savior of the world, the chosen one has chosen me. And so now they've fought, they're following Jesus, and Jesus is all right, now that you're following me, I'm going to get into the details of what it really means to follow me. You ready for this? And they're like, yes, let's do this, Jesus, let's do this. And he says, all right, I'm first going to send you out as sheep among wolves. And they're like, okay. Now, when we hear sheep among wolves, um, for me right now, I think of the NCAA tournament and I think of team mascots because I'm so sad I'm not watching college basketball right now. My wife is happy. <laughs> She's like, hey, I get my husband back. So anyway, we hear that and we think sheep among wolves, not a big deal. But for that generation, they were used to seeing the results of what took place. Now, if you're into Animal Planet and some of those you know, documentaries where these guys stay out in the woods or stay out in the jungle for three months at a time with these, you know, high-def cameras and film all this, then you've seen it too. What happens when a wolf gets a hold of a sheep? Doesn't end well for the sheep, does it? Not great. There's usually nothing left. There's, there's more left of the sheep than what was left at Walmart when my wife went there for grocery shopping yesterday. I'm looking, my wife sent me a photo and she was like, look at this. I was like, good God, how much frozen chicken do people need to eat to live through this? <laughs> Apparently all of it. You know what the coronavirus is really bad for? The chickens. <laughs> They're in real big trouble. <laughs> God save the chickens. So Jesus says, listen. He says, listen, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. Bloody, gory mess. Not good. Um... Jesus said, here's more good news. Here's more good news. So your sheep among wolves, also guess what? You're gonna, it's very likely, so just bank on this, you're going to get arrested, persecuted, and beaten. And they're like, uh-huh, looking at each other. And then Jesus follows that up with this. Now don't be afraid. <laughs> and the disciples are like, hold on. Did we miss something? What did we miss here? You, we, we follow you, great, high five. Um, sheep among wolves, mm, arrested, beaten, don't be, there's got to be something we're missing here, Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 don't be afraid. But just by telling them to not be afraid, not only did it take, not take away any of their fear, it left them confused. And they're asking more questions because it didn't make any sense to these guys. You don't just tell someone to not be afraid. And Jesus understood that. So Jesus said, here's the deal. Guys, I'm not just going to tell you not to be afraid. We're going to take a field trip. Y'all ready? And they're like, all right, let's do it. 
How many of you remember field trips when you were in school? Weren't that, wasn't that just the best day ever? Field trip days were the best days. I was trying to think of my favorite field trip day, and one of my favorite field trips was actually to the Capitol. We had the best day at the Capitol, believe it or not. It was so much fun. Anyway, so Jesus says, we're going to go on a field trip, and I'm going to help you because I understand just by telling you don't be afraid, not only did it not take away the fear, but it also left you confused. So here's the deal. Field trip, let's do this. Now, remember, as we read this story, this is not some isolated event that took place in the life of Jesus. Everything he did was intentional. Everything he did was to fulfill a purpose from the Heavenly Father. So he was doing this to teach using this as an opportunity to teach his followers then and his followers now on how to live this life and not be afraid. So we're going to pick up this story, and you've heard this story before. So again, don't just jump to the end because you've heard it and you know it, and I've got it in Bible school, i got it in you know Sunday school, I'm good, Pastor Josh. No, listen with fresh ears, and I promise you this will bless you and this will help you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, it's in your notes, it's on the screen. So Jesus gets into a boat, and his disciples, what do they do? follow him. Why did they follow him? Because they were his followers. So Jesus gets into a boat and his disciples follow him. Now this is an important, this is important to notice right now that Jesus is getting into the boat, not making these guys follow him. They are choosing to follow him on to this boat because they're his followers. The Bible says they, they row out or they go out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and they're heading across. And the Bible tells us, verse 24, Suddenly, and this was not unusual for the Sea of Galilee, they were used to kind of these sudden storms, but this one was interesting. Suddenly, not just any kind of storm, what kind of storm? A furious, a furious storm hits. Now you got to remember, these men were fishermen. They were used to being out on boats, out in that Sea of Galilee, fishing. They were used to some of these sudden storms hitting and surviving and making it through. But this one is interesting. This one is unique. They call this one a furious storm. And this isn't a bunch of fishermen exaggerating, telling fish tales and all that kind of stuff, fish stories. You know, my fish was this big. No, these are, these are guys telling it like it was being accurate. Suddenly, appearing out of nowhere, this huge storm, so, so drastic that waves are sweeping over the boat. Now, remember this. They're not on some big fishing liner, some big yacht. They're not on one of those Alaskan fishing cruise boats that you see on Deadliest Catch on the Discovery Channel. It's not like one of those big boats that has a big motor and everybody is... No, these are small fishing vessels. Likely they had to row them out there. And so, and so when you read this, understand this is not like these guys are on a carnival cruise in the middle of the ocean and like, oh no, it's a little rocky out here. No, how many of you have been stuck in a storm where it was raining so hard the rain is pounding you on the side of your face, not on your head? This is a nasty, awful storm that these guys are dealing with. Waves crashing over their little boat. They're, they're completely drenched, completely soaked. When a storm is loud, you can't hear someone unless you're right up in their face. So they're yelling at each other, screaming at each other. Their hair is all in their face and in their eyes. And what does the Bible say Jesus is doing while all this storm is going on? Sleeping. Sound asleep. I wonder if Jesus snored. I'll ask him that one day. Jesus is sound asleep. How is that even possible, Jesus? Again, there wasn't some master suite in the bottom of the boat where he had his own private quarters. 
No, it's likely that the rain is hitting him, that the waves and the, you know, he's hosed and soaked just like everybody else is. And the Bible says he's sound asleep, sound asleep. And so the Bible goes on to say that they woke Jesus up. They go to wake him up. And it wasn't like they wake him up like you would wake up a sleeping little baby. Like, wake up, sweetheart. Wake up. No. Jesus, wake up. God. Literally. (laughs) Wake up. They're freaking out. And this is great. This is what's so great is the Bible says that Jesus woke up but didn't even get up. It's like he leaned up on an elbow like, what? (laughs) And he yells us out, what do you got? What is, what's the deal, guys? And they're like, Jesus, do you see what's going on? And his response is, why do you have such little faith? And they're like, what? Yeah, it's raining in my face. And he's like, no, why do you have such little faith? And they're like, why do we have little faith? Are you crazy? Look at this, furious storm, Waves crashing, boat filling up with water, we're all going to drown. Newsflash, Jesus, when you're about to die, you freak out. You're a little bit afraid. What a ridiculous question. Why do you have such little faith? And Jesus follows that up with this. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Are you kidding me? And so we read this story. This is not a story where Jesus is sharing his power over nature, the miracle of Jesus and God's power over nature, even though the laws of nature obey Jesus. This is not what this is about. He's teaching them in this moment about living faith over fear, living without fear. And so verse 26, he finally got up. (laughs) I love that. He finally gets up. So he yells all this while he's like kind of still napping. And he finally gets up. And what does he do? He doesn't panic. Our God does not panic. Jesus, our Savior, does not panic. He does not panic when the boat is sinking. He does not panic when there's a storm. He does not panic when it is unpredictable. It does not panic when it is uncertain. He doesn't panic when people are screaming at him. He didn't panic when everybody else was panicking. What did Jesus do? He woke up and the Bible says that he rebuked the winds and the waves. He spoke to them and it was completely calm. Jesus stood up. Knows, he knows who he is and the power that he has within him. Speaks to that storm. It calms down. Now for a lot of us, we're like, yeah, yeah, speak to that storm, Jesus. Speak to that virus and kill it. Yeah, woo! But that's not what he's, that's not what he's getting to. It continues. So Jesus calms this storm, and now we begin to see the whole real point of this incident. And the men on the boat with Jesus, verse 27, were what? Amazed. Well, of course they were. Of course they were amazed at Jesus uh, for what he had, they had just witnessed. And then they lead, that leads to one of the most important questions that these men have ever asked. And it, honestly, it's one of the most important questions that we can ask today. A bunch of uneducated fishermen who, who were who were on the brink of death and drowning in the Sea of Galilee, are standing amazed at Jesus, looking at him, like, whoa. And then they ask this question, and this is so powerful. What kind of man is this? What a powerful question. It was a powerful question then. It's a powerful question today. What kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? They were so amazed. So, so Mark, in Mark's account of this, 
We believe that Mark got his information from Peter. We, we believe that largely Peter was illiterate, couldn't read or write. And so Peter had to share his stories with Mark. Mark wrote them down. That's where we get the gospel of Mark from. And so Mark, when he records this, this is what Mark says in verse 41 of chapter 4. And I love this. He says, and we feared a great fear. He says, we feared a great fear. This was Mark's version. And in this, in this, in this translation, Mark uses the same Greek word twice for fear. We feared a great fear. So it's almost as if he's saying we were already afraid of the storm. We were already afraid of what we were dealing with. But then we saw what Jesus did, and we even had a greater fear. And he didn't know how to articulate it this well. He didn't know how to say it quite clearly. So the only way he could say it was, well, we were afraid of this, but then we were even more afraid of that. And so they stood there, and the Bible says they were amazed because all of a sudden the fear they had of whose presence they were in and what he was capable of doing was so much greater than the fear of the actual death they were facing that in that moment, in a brief moment, for just that moment in that boat, and I put it in your notes, they recognized the greatness and the power that Jesus had within him. And for just that brief moment, moment, standing there in that boat, their confidence in Jesus and His power and His authority and Almighty God, their confidence in Jesus overwhelmed their fear. Just for that moment, there it was. They had this great... And so this is Jesus saying, listen, you've got to understand that as long as I'm with you, don't let fear control you. Don't let that fear control you. Because there's something greater than that fear. There's a powerful force that's even greater. So even though that fear might be overwhelming you, there's a powerful force that can overwhelm it. There's always something greater when you have Jesus. And he's trying to teach this to his disciples and help them to understand that he's got greater power, that what he's capable of is more powerful than anything. So while, while his disciples are, this is all still fresh in their minds and are thinking about what they've just been gone, they, they've gone through, uh, a couple days pass, they go about their business. And so Jesus comes back to this topic and he says, all right, guys, let me talk about this now. What did we learn from this? Because basically on this field trip on the boat, everybody here failed miserably. You all did a terrible job. Everybody got an F for this one. And, and he says, so what did you learn? And, and he says, let's give you another illustration. So in Matthew chapter 10, he continues his teaching. So he starts it out by saying, all right, guys, here we go again. Don't be afraid. And they're looking at each other like, I get it. All right, we got that. Don't be afraid. We're not going to have any fear. We got that. But then he goes on to say this. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Now, I'm going to stay there for just a moment because I believe it's very relevant to what we're dealing with in 2020 today. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. So what would Jesus, if he was up here preaching instead of me, not that he needs my help um, or, you know, I could put any words into his mouth. Um, what would Jesus say to us? He would say this, don't be afraid of anything that kills the body. Don't be afraid of a coronavirus. Don't be afraid of cancer. Don't be afraid of running out of toilet paper. <laughs> don't be afraid of something that can kill your body. Uh, uh, don't be afraid of those things that threaten your body but cannot kill, he says, your soul. So here in this moment, now Jesus is introducing a teaching that we've all, a lot of us who grew up in the church, we understand that there's a you inside of you. 
that there's an eternal being on the inside of you, man-made, and God created us in three dimensions, um, uh, spirit, soul, and body. So we understand that even though our body might perish, there is a spirit that will live eternally one place or another. And so Jesus is getting into this, and he says, don't be afraid of those that only kill the body, can't do anything in your soul. In other words, if you're going to anchor your life to something, if you're going to have a reverence and a respect and a holy fear for something, if you're going to be amazed by something, if you're going to attach your heart and your life and your emotions and everything about you to something, then make sure that it's the one who has control over eternal things. Don't get so caught up in the temporary. He's, he's, he's teaching this to his disciples and he's teaching us today. It's almost, it's like a hyperbole. He's saying, listen, if you're going to fear something, fear God. Fear God. Have a greater respect and a greater amazement for the word of God and the truth of God's word and God's power than anything that could harm physically your body. This is where he's getting to teaching. And he's saying, don't you guys remember that boat ride we just went on? Don't you remember the waves? And don't you remember the crashing? And you remember what happened? And, and they're all like, yeah, 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 we remember. You were afraid of the wrong thing. You had a greater fear of drowning than you had a fear of God in saving. Then you had a respect and an amazement for God and his ability to preserve, to protect, to deliver, to restore and he said this, it's not that there's nothing to be afraid of. There's plenty to be afraid of. But it's that you should place more faith in God than you should in fear in a virus. And he's teaching his disciples this and he's saying you've got to understand if you're going to anchor and connect your life to something, anchor it to the most powerful thing. Anchor, anchor it to the most powerful thing. So there's the point. And then he goes on to teach. He says, verse 29, are not two, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And I'm like, I, I, how much is a sparrow? I don't know. I don't need a sparrow. I need toilet paper. That's where we're out of. <laughs> but the disciples at that time, they understood what he's talking about. And they're like, sparrows, they're, they're worthless. You know, yeah, we, we can get all kinds of sparrows for 25 cents. So he says, yet not one of these sparrows will fall to the ground outside your father's care. So hold up. Does that mean that God cares about nature? Yeah, he sure does. He created it. Of course he cares. But he says, listen, and he goes, now starts talking about you personally and his disciples. He's like, but even the numbers on your head, or the hairs on your head are numbered. He says, I know everything about your life. Everything about you. And he says, because you are so worth so much more than any sparrows, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're worth so much more than a couple birds. Let's not talk about the birds. Let's talk about you. And this is what Jesus is getting to. He says, don't be afraid because you've got to understand just how extraordinarily valuable your life is to God. Your life was so valuable to Jesus that he gave up his life for yours. He made sure of that. And so this is Jesus telling his disciples then and teaching us now. Please know this. You are so valuable. God is not some big entity up in the sky who's watching over everything, kind of distant, who's going, oh man, I wonder what's going to happen next. No, he is a personal, loving, caring God. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows what your fears are. He knows what the threats are. And this is Jesus saying this. Listen, in a, in a time and in a season where the world is suddenly unrecognizable to most of us, where it doesn't make any sense all of a sudden, what we're facing and what we're dealing with and it's uncertainty. Anchor your life to God Almighty who is with you and for you and his power is greater. Yeah. 
Don't let that fear for one more moment determine how you live your life. Anchor it, anchor it to Jesus. He's a God who loves you, who's for you, who's with you, who's in you and you have. This is why, this is why the Bible teaches in 1 John, that's why we can say, greater is he who is in me than he that's in the world. And he's going on with this teaching and finally the disciples are starting to get it just a little bit. I think we got it. So we were afraid. We were afraid because there was something to be afraid of. But our fear was misplaced. Instead of being afraid of, of what could have happened and all of the bad things, because that's essentially what fear is, you start to project the worst case scenarios and then start to fulfill those projections by the way you live. Instead, we're placing our fear or our faith in the greater power. God the Almighty, the one who can help us and preserve us and save us, even though those circumstances are unpredictable, we, we understand this. And so Jesus says, all right, you're starting to get it. So let's take another field trip and make sure. And they're like, yeah! So they take another field trip. And so here at this next field trip, it starts way, way better. Way, way better. Another story we're familiar with, but now Jesus is teaching out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, just teaching in the middle of this field somewhere, and tons of people around him, lots of people there. And the Bible says that Jesus kind of taught longer. You know, he taught a long message that day. So whenever I preach long, I'm just being like Jesus. So, so Jesus had been teaching for a while, and the disciples come to him like, Jesus, everybody's starving. It's getting dark. Everybody's hungry. We need to send these people home so they can go eat, and then maybe come back and preach part two next, you know, the next day or so. And Jesus says, no, I don't want to do that. And they're like, Jesus, we need to get them home. Their people are hungry. He says, I have a better idea. How about you guys feed them? <laughs> what? You see all these people? There's like thousands of people, Jesus. What are we going to do, you know? I got nothing. I got no money. The logistics of trying to feed all these people, what doesn't even make sense? He says, no, 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 you feed them. <laughs> all right, Jesus, you're funny. Halaha, ha, hilarious. Let's just send them home. And no, he says, no, you feed them. Okay, how? Bring me that little boy's lunch. And Matthew records it this way. They bring Jesus this little boy's lunch. He blesses it. The Bible says he breaks it, distributes it to his disciples, and then they miraculously feed thousands of people with one little boy's sack lunch. That's it. Now, according to Matthew, everybody is fired up. The disciples are fired up. People are getting their bellies full, so they're fired up. They're, everybody's feeling good. The disciples are at an all-time high with their confidence. They're feeling really good about themselves. And you would, too, if Jesus had just blessed you and then you worked a miracle through your hands. And so they're, they're of course, all excited about what God is doing and how Jesus is ministering and how they're being used. And, and they're all fired up over all this. And the Bible says this. It picks it up. Picks it up in verse 22, Matthew 14. And again, all these things, they're not coincidences. Jesus did everything intentional to teach. Immediately, as soon as it dawned on everybody what had happened, immediately Jesus made the 12 disciples what? Get into the boat. He made them get into the boat. Now, when you break that down in the Greek... That, that actually means he literally forced them into the boat. He coerced them, made them, demanded, made them get in the boat. Why did he have to make them get into the boat? Because they remember what happened the last time they got into the boat. <laughs> so, so Jesus is like, fellas, it's been a great day. Get on the boat. And they're like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> we'll walk, Jesus. <laughs> I think we'll walk. Y'all want, I'm feeling like a nice brisk walk. This is get in the boat. I'm like, oh man, I don't want to get in the boat. Get in the boat. All right, all right. 
Where are we going? And they turn around and Jesus isn't getting in the boat with them. As he's shoving the boat from the beach into the water, he's like, oh yeah, I'm not going with you. And they're like, what? Look <laughs> at each other like, this is not going to end well, fellas. I'll catch up with you guys. Look for me in a bit. I got some stuff to finish up here. I'll see you in a little while, okay? And of course, it's been a long day. They just fed all these people. Jesus had all this teaching. All these things had taken place all in the same time. So here they go out into the Sea of Galilee once again. The Bible says they rode until it was like, like darkness. So these guys are exhausted, wore out. They're, they're tired. And, and finally, verse 25, they start to see something. They start to see something. Matthew 14, 25. So Jesus, the Bible says, went out to them. And when he went out to them, he was what? Walking on the lake. What? Walking on the lake. What does the Bible say next? And when the disciples saw him walking on a lake, they were what? Terrified. Terrified. It's a ghost. <laughs> and they cried out in fear. Now, when a lot of people read this story, this is when they go, okay, Jesus walking on water. I get it with the, with the miracle of the multiplication. I get it with the calming the storm. But now the guy's walking on water. Come on, Pastor Josh. You expect me to believe this? Now, I could get into some, some real intricate depth on 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 ex explanations for this, but let me just tell you, whenever, whenever the theological experts are reviewing Scripture, they take into consideration an embarrassment factor. You aware of this? They do. They take into consideration an embarrassment factor. And so essentially, if you were recording a story about your life and you wanted people to believe the best about you, if you left out all the embarrassing parts, that'd make you look like a genius, Right? like an amazing, beautiful, perfect person. So whenever they're, whenever they're dissecting the Word of God and they're seeing these stories, these guys included some of the most ridiculously embarrassing things you could possibly include in these stories. So it, in, in a lot of ways, verifies the story. Because why would you include being terrified, we saw a ghost, all the screw-ups that these guys did? And so you can just imagine, you know, it's like Matthew when they're putting all this together, they're, they're talking to each other and they're like, do we really want to include that part? And he's like, yeah, we got to tell the whole truth. So this is what's happening here. So this, is, this really took place. Jesus is walking on water. The disciples see him. Now they're exhausted, but they're, they're, they're so afraid they cry out in fear. And this is how Jesus responds to them. Guys, verse 27, take courage. Take courage. It's me. It's me, Jesus. And here it is again. Don't be afraid. Like how many times do I have to tell you this? How many sermons? How many miracles? How many times do we have to go over this? Don't be afraid. Remember, as long as I'm here, there's no reason to have any fear. As long as I'm with you, there's no reason to let fear de uh, determine and destroy your life. And he, and he goes on and he says, listen, even when there's something to be afraid of, even when there's something to be afraid of, even when there's a virus out there that's unpredictable that nobody really knows how devastating it could possibly be. There's a reason to be afraid of. He says, don't let fear control, guide, overwhelm your life. Now, you would think that after this and after everything else, this disciples, that it would stick. That they would live by fear, but unfortunately it didn't. And we all know the story. I'm not going to, I'll paraphrase it. So, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. He's entering into Jerusalem. 
Everybody's waving the palm branches, shouting Hosanna, the triumphant entry. It's this beautiful scene. Everybody's honoring Jesus as king. The disciples believe he's about to be crowned as king. He's about to overthrow Rome. He's about to enforce the law of God and take over. They're all fired up. They're all high-fiving. They're all stirred up. Then they, 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 they uh, uh, celebrate the Passover meal together. Jesus sits down with them at the Last Supper, and he's teaching them something. He's like, listen, guys, I'm establishing a brand-new covenant. This is going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. A brand new relationship between man and God. I'm going to establish a church. I'm going to call an ecclesia. It's a gathering. It's my assembly, my group, my followers, my body. These people are going to be extensions of who I am. We're going to flow and operate as one. And we're going to see this world changed and transformed. All these new things. And so the disciples are hearing this and they're looking at each other like, this is what we've been waiting on. This is what we've been anticipating. This is what we've been telling people. This is going to happen. They're so stirred up. They're so excited. So then they finish that supper. They go out to pray. And what happens? Jesus gets arrested. When Jesus gets arrested, what did the disciples do? Did they stay with him? They fled. They bailed. They hid. They lied. They denied. They were afraid. They watched him get beaten, and they watched, his, they watched him drag a cross to Golgotha and be crucified. And then the Bible says they hid for their lives. Hid for their lives. Can you imagine what that felt like? You've, you've witnessed the miraculous. You've seen these great things. You've heard these amazing teachings, and you want to believe them. You want to believe them. You want to believe when Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't fear your body being harmed. Don't fear the death from a virus. Don't fear the death from drowning. Don't fear the death of cancer. Don't fear those things. Put your faith in me. You want to believe those things, but how can I believe it, Jesus? How can I believe it if you aren't who you say you are? You told us you were the Son of God. You told us you were the Messiah, and now you're dead and buried in a grave. You're buried in a tomb. The Bible says the disciples hid when in hiding. One day, two days. Everybody say, but on that third day. On that third day, when they approached a tomb that they expected to be covered and sealed, it was empty. It was empty. And the Bible says that then Jesus appeared to them and began to share. And now all of a sudden, the disciples are just their hearts are open wide. And everything that he had been teaching, everything he had been sharing, everything that he had been um, leading them to, it all of a sudden now begins to make perfect sense. It all comes together. Because before, when Jesus said, don't fear the death, don't fear the destruction, don't fear being a prison, don't fear the virus, don't fear the, the death, don't fear all those things, but, but to have your faith in me, okay, Jesus, that's a great teaching. But now I understand. I I can respect, I can receive from a man who when he tells me that I don't have to fear death, he conquered it himself. I can trust in a man who faced death and beat it. I can, I can trust and put my faith in a man who looked right at death. See, in Revelation 1, the Bible says this. Jesus says, I am he who once was dead, but I'm now alive. And now in my hands, I hold the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And so I can put my faith in this man. Who is this man? He's Jesus 
Son of God conquered death, hell, and the grave. So the enemy's greatest weapon, the most terrifying weapon he has against you and me in this life is death. It's what he has. It's the one thing that, that, that inspires, I'd say, the most fear, that provokes the most panic, is death. People afraid of it. And Jesus looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says this, because of the resurrection. See, for a lot of us, the resurrection is about Easter. But for Jesus' followers, the resurrection wasn't just about one day, it was about every day. It was that Jesus is alive. That resurrection is what gave them confidence. It's what gave them boldness. It's what gave them strength. It's what gave them everything they needed to withstand. And let me tell you something. That just because they chose to follow Jesus doesn't mean that all the scary things went away. Every one of those men at some point had to face death. A lot of them were persecuted to the point of they, were, they, they actually died a martyr's death. <laughs> but there's something about that first century, that, that early generation church. You take away the fear of death, there's nothing you can threaten them with. That's why the church grew as rapidly as it did. They believed in Jesus. They had the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they trusted him. And so Jesus looks at us and he says, listen to me. You can put your faith in me because I conquered that death. Don't you dare put more fear in a virus than you do faith in me. Trust me, believe me, I am alive, I'm giving you that life. If you'll follow me, then that's a promise I'm giving you. Thank you, Jesus. Fear not. Do not let fear control you. So Peter, the same Peter who, who screwed up, failed the boat twice, the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. The same Peter who fled when he was arrested. The same Peter who, after the resurrection, you know, you know that Peter went into hiding for like years? Years! That same Peter comes back, is helping to establish the church, and he writes a letter to a bunch of Christians. Christians just like us. They're just like us because they were following Jesus but had never personally seen or, or witnessed him. Just like us. And this is what he says. 1 Peter 5. Cast all your cares on him. How's that going to help us, Peter? How? Peter? Peter says, because let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I want you to know. Here's how. And here's why. Because he cares for you. He really cares. Cast all your cares on him. Why? Peter says, because I can speak from personal experience. I can tell you. So trust me on this one. Because he, he so much cares for you and what you're dealing with and what you're going through and the fears you are facing. So literally cast all your anxiety. I mean, literally cast all your fears onto him because he's capable and able to take those fears, handle them, replace them with his faith and peace. And why does he do that? Because he genuinely cares and loves his people, loves his children. And Peter eventually was killed under Nero's rule, I believe. But Peter, facing death, trusted in the promise that Jesus had given him that I won't ever leave you or forsake you, that there is no reason to fear death as long as I am with you. And he trusted in what the psalmist said, that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear 
no evil. Why? Thou art with me. You are with me. And new life, that invitation is just as real today as it was back then. That promise to follow Jesus. And if you'll follow him, there is not a reason to let fear dominate or control one more moment of your life. That does not mean there is nothing to be afraid of. But it does mean that I'll put more faith in God's ability to help, to save, to protect, to cover, than I will put fear in the death. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Fear not. Even when there's something to be afraid of, because He is with me, I don't have to be afraid.